The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Well, good morning. How's everybody? Very good, very good. You know, I believe the essence of leadership is that a leader has to define reality. And this is not in my notes this morning. I was just literally thinking it as I was sitting down here during our worship this morning. And we're going to back in our worship today, so we're going to sing after the message a little more. But uh, the essence of leadership, in my opinion, is to define reality. And, and I believe this morning, if, if we could just capture a bit of reality of what the Lord is doing in our church, uh, I'm overwhelmed by how good God has been to us in a year and a half in this city. And uh, it is so cool to see so many new faces every single week. But you know what? I was, I was in, uh, getting prepped this morning, and I was looking through my notes. I brought my son with me. He loves to come with me um, to set up at 6.30 every morning, every Sunday morning. And he said to me, dad, I really like this church because everybody knows everybody. And uh, I thought that that was just from the eyes of an eight year old, what God is doing in our church, the family that he's connecting. And I love it. So I just wanted to define reality for you this morning and say, God's doing a good thing here. And if you're a part of it, praise God. We're excited. You're here. By the way, if you're here for the first time, uh, we are thrilled that you're here. We literally try to roll out the red carpet every single Sunday for you. And so after the service, if you do us a favor, just stop by the First Steps table and high five us. We'd love to give you a free gift, all right? Hey, so we are in a, a, a new series, sort of. We started last week. It's called Things We Love. And um, this is, uh, as Craig said last week, this is a DTR, if you will. Um, if you've been a part of Story City for any amount of time, um, this is us saying to you, this is who we are, and these are the things that we love so that you know what you are stepping into and where we are going. And so last week, we started with God. We love God. And that's pretty broad, but if you missed it last week, I want to encourage you. Craig preached an incredible message, and uh, you need to go back and listen to the podcast. But today, we want to talk about the second thing we love. And the second thing that we want to posture to you today is that we love God's Word. We love God's Word. And I want to tell you why we love God's Word today. And uh, I hope that there will be some things that will challenge you and some things that will encourage you as we walk through John chapter 5 today. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 5. If you don't, we put the words on the screen. And um, if you don't have a Bible at all, stop by the Connect table. We'd love to give you one after the service is our gift to you. All right, let me pray for us, and uh, we'll jump right into John chapter 5 as soon as I'm done. Jesus, we love you. This is your word. It's uh, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joint and marrow, according to Hebrews chapter 4. And Jesus, I pray that all things and all things and all things and all things, Lord, when we read your scripture today, as your scripture says in Hebrews 4, will lay, be laid open and bare before the eyes of you with whom we have to live, God. And your promise is in your word that when scripture does that to our hearts, when it divides our hearts, God, that we will be able to see reality. We will know that you know who we are and we have the option, a watershed moment to confess Jesus, yes or no, that we trust in you alone. And so God, that's what we pray this morning in John chapter five. Would you speak to us? In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody in the Colony Theater said... Amen. I come from a talkback church, and it's okay if you talk back while I preach. I'm really okay with that, all right? Thank you. John chapter 5, starting in verse 31, um, Jesus is going to talk about uh, how God speaks to us. And let me just say up front, the reason why we love the scriptures, the reason why we love the scriptures is because we believe that the scriptures best define reality. 
as it is, as life really is. And also, we love scripture because we believe that through it, God speaks to us. Now, I want to talk about um, how God speaks to us. I want to talk about the fact that God does speak to us, how he speaks to us, why we don't hear him speaking to us. And then finally, I want to end just very briefly in how we can hear God speak to us. All right. John chapter five, starting in verse 31. Jesus says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Verse 32, there is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. He's speaking of John the Baptist in verse 33. You have sent to John, he's speaking of John the Baptist, and he has testified to the truth, not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. Verse 35, John was a lamp. And he burned bright and he gave light and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. Verse 36, I have testimony though, weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. Verse 37, and the Father who sent me has also testified concerning me. Jesus says, you have never heard his voice, nor have you seen him. Verse 38, nor does his word dwell in you. Now he's speaking to people who knew the word very, very well. You do not believe the one whom he sent. Verse 39, you study the scriptures diligently because you seek that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Verse 41, I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. Verse 43, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if anyone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Verse 45, but do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. No, Jesus says, I'm not here to accuse you. He again restates that in John chapter 3. Your accuser is Moses, he says, on whom your hopes are set. Remember, these are people that know the scriptures very, very well. They understand the Old Testament very well. It's said that the scribes of the Old Testament could stick a pen through their written scriptures and they would know every word that that pen would hit. They knew the scriptures very, very well. Verse 46, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Over 300 scriptures in the Old Testament testify about Jesus that actually come to fruition. Verse 47, but since you do not believe what Moses wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? That's the reading of God's word this morning. So we need to have a little bit of context before we dive into talking about the fact that God actually speaks to us. In John chapter 5 here, what we have is that Jesus has an encounter with the people called the Pharisees. They were people that knew the Old Testament extraordinarily well. And Jesus has this encounter with the Pharisees because in earlier in John chapter 5, Jesus has healed the man who has sat by a pool for many, many years, and he heals the man who's been lame, who is lame um, and who has a disease. But the problem for the Pharisees was that Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. And the problem for the Pharisees was that their law said and stated that healing could not occur on the Sabbath. So according to the Pharisees, 
Pharisees, the ones who knew the Old Testament law very well. Jesus broke with tradition. He broke their law and he did something that their scripture said should not be done. And so we have this back and forth debate between the Pharisees. They continue to go back and forth. And then what we see in John chapter 5 verse 18 is that, is that Jesus has made this claim that he is one with God. And the Pharisees acknowledge that. And they, 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 um, they, they take offense that Jesus has actually claimed to be God. And so um, they begin to accuse him of blasphemy. And so even though the Pharisees were the ones that knew the Old Testament scriptures, they knew that the Old Testament pointed to an eventual Messiah, they should have known that the Messiah that they've always read about, that they've always studied about, that they've always knew about, Jesus affirms, you know the scriptures, yet you do not know me. They should have known that Jesus was the one that the Old Testament scriptures pointed to. And so we have this conflict that's unfolding here. And Jesus is beginning to assert to them, God has spoken to you in various ways, and yet you still don't believe God. And so we have the Pharisees here, the religious leaders who have read the scriptures, yet they have no idea what the scriptures point to. Um, so what the Pharisees are looking for is, is this morally tight, neat religion that they desire. They want this morally tight, uh, neat religion that they're looking for. And what Jesus is saying is, you've read the scriptures, yet you've read them all wrong, and you've missed God speaking to you. Now, listen to what Jesus says in this passage, all right? Um, we love the scriptures today. Because we believe they point to Jesus. They define reality. Because um, it's God's word speaking to us. But listen to what Jesus says first. As he's trying to sort of posture to these people who knew the scriptures well. You have the evidence, but you do not hear God speaking to you. Here's what he says. The first thing he wants them to know is that actually God does speak to you. Again, back in the context was that he healed and, and the religious leaders knew the, 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 the Old Testament law and they said, you claim to be God, but, but you've offended us because you are not actually God, even though he was himself. And so Jesus starts out in verse 31 and he says to them that um, I, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. In essence, what he's saying is if, if you go to court and you are the only one that presents evidence that against the case, uh, whatever, whatever the situation may be, you're the only one that can present the evidence, then your case is not very... Uh, it's not very convincing. And Jesus is saying, the evidence for God and for God speaking to you is not just within me, myself. Because if I'm just the only one that says, um, you should listen to me, and, and when you hear me speak, you hear God, then it's not very convincing. And so Jesus goes on to say, there are multiple ways that God speaks to us. And these are the ways that he says. In other words... Um, if there's not just one piece of evidence, there has to be multiple pieces of evidence to examine the reality and the truth of, of whether God is real. And so Jesus says there's at least three types of evidence that God is real in this passage. The first one is found in verse 33 through 35. He says, you have sent to John and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. This is what he says about John. He was a lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. 
Jesus is saying, um, if you want evidence, if you've ever known anybody who's ever said, I just want evidence that God is real and that God actually speaks to us, the first thing that Jesus would say to you this morning is that, well, the first evidence that you have is a personal type of evidence. It's, it's a human. It's, it's, a, it's a person who radiates the goodness and the glory of God. And for Jesus in this context, that was John the Baptist because they looked to him. And the scripture even says that he was a bright, shining light. If you're a person that wants to know evidence that God is real, Jesus would point you to the fact to say, look, you should have somebody in your life that you know radiates the glory of God. People are one of the main ways that God gives us to know that he's there. But then the second thing that Jesus says is found in verse 36. He says, but the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me, but that the Father has sent me. Jesus says, if you want to know that God is real, you need evidence that God speaks to you. The first evidence is people in your life. You need that. If you know somebody in your life this morning that needs to know that God is real, they need to see the radiance of Christ in you. Secondly, Jesus says there's something greater than John the Baptist. And what's greater than John the Baptist is the evidence, the works that I am working. In essence, what Jesus is saying is that there is, a, there is historical context. There is Jesus' character, his claims, his life, his resurrection, his historical evidence that Jesus was who he said he was. Now, you can Google today. You can try to Google the historical, the historicity of Jesus, and you will find things all over the map. You will find people that are very jaded towards the reality of a historical Jesus. Let me say to you today, the facts, the history states that we have more evidence of Jesus being a real person, a real human who made real claims, who died a real death and came out of a grave than we do the fact that Julius Caesar ever lived. The fact is, the earliest sources about Julius Caesar date 100 years after his life, in the early second century. The earliest sources we have about Jesus are about 60 years after Jesus' life. We have more evidence to the reality of Jesus than we do to the existence of Julius Caesar. And so what Jesus is saying is, you want to know that God is real? You don't know that God is real. You need somebody in your life. You need, you need a John in your life who radiates Christ, but you also need to examine the evidence of who I am. Um, can I say to you this morning, if you're on a journey, you're a we you are welcome in this fellowship. We are excited that you are here examining the claims of Jesus. And I want to say, if you are searching this morning, you have this thought, you have this inclination to lean into God. There is not a legitimate leaning into God until you have searched the legitimacy, the historicity, the evidence, the claims that Jesus did what he said he did. And I promise you, when you examine those claims, you will find that he was in fact a real person and he did what he said he was going to do. But that's not the only evidence Jesus says that I'm going to present to you about the reality of God and him speaking to us. Here's the next part. Verse 37. He says, and the father who sent me, he's talking to the Pharisees, the father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. 
you do not have his word abiding in you. Now, now, listen, if you're just standing there and you're listening to Jesus and you're one of these religious leaders, you take offense to what Jesus has just said because you, above all other people, have understood the Old Testament scriptures the best. You know them. You know the truthfulness of them. In fact, the Pharisees would have had this theological conviction about the inerrancy of scriptures, the infallibility of scripture, the, the truthfulness of scriptures, and they would have been offended by what Jesus says, but listen, you need to understand the layer beneath the top layer that Jesus is talking about here in verse 37. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. He goes on to say, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It's that these testify about me. Verse 40, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. What Jesus is saying here, what he's posturing is that if you want to know the evidence of God being real and you want to hear God speak to you, you need a person. You need to examine the evidence. But finally, Jesus is going to, the weight of Jesus' argument is going to lie in the fact that the scriptures testify to who he is. No serious examination of the life of Jesus can be had without legitimately examining the scriptures. And he's going to posture the rest of his argument about knowing God, about hearing from God on the fact that you cannot hear God without the scriptures in your life. So first of all, Jesus says, God speaks to you, and there are three ways. The primary way he speaks to you is through scriptures. We're going to unfold that here in just a second. Now, the second thing I want to say to you is how does God speak to you? How does God speak to you? Jesus says that God gives us all of this testimony, right? People, the evidence, and then he says scripture. But what he says about these three is that the primary importance is placed on the scriptures. And so most of the rest of this passage here is about the scripture. Um, and by the way, of those three testimonies, people, evidence, the scriptures, the only one that is the father's testimony, according to Jesus, the father's testimony is the scripture. And so Jesus, what he's doing here, he's directly attacking the Pharisees reading of scripture. And he says, this is a divine book, not a human book. We often look at this as a book where that men wrote, and it's sort of like man's search for God. And when we approach the scriptures, like men wrote this, and this is their, 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 their thoughts about how to approach a God who may or may not exist, and how to communicate with him, and how to be in relationship with him. If we perceive this book to be a human book that just simply writes our thoughts about God, then we've missed it all together. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. Jesus says, no, no, let me flip that upside down. This is not a book about man searching for God. This is God's um, writing about humanity and coming down to humanity himself. And so when he writes um, this scripture, he begins to, um, we see this unfolded all throughout the scripture. We see it in Matthew 19, Jesus often quotes Old Testament scripture. Yesterday we did a wedding here, it's not here, but in Santa Clarita for a couple at Story City Church. I repeated these very words from Matthew chapter 19. Um, when two become one, what God is united together, let no man separate. Jesus is directly quoting the Old Testament account of Genesis. But then more than that, we have other scriptures that testify to the veracity. Second Peter chapter one, verse 20. Peter has this argument that he's about to make here. And, and by the way, if you understood what uh, Peter's 
life, you know that he was one of the inner three with Jesus. Peter, James, John, they were on the mountain of transfiguration with Jesus. They saw a bright burning light. They heard the voice of God. Jesus is saying, you've never heard his voice. You've never seen his form. But Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, I was one of the three that actually heard the voice of God and I saw Jesus transfigured before he went to the cross. And this is what Peter says about that experience where he heard the voice of God and he saw Jesus transfigured. He said, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now listen to this. Peter's saying, I was an eyewitness. I heard the voice of God. I saw Jesus transfigured, but listen to what he says. Even though I experienced this, verse 17, for when we received honor and glory from God the Father, such as an utterance, that this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is, this is what they heard. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this is what verse 18 says. And we ourselves heard this voice made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter says, let me f- stand up. Be the first to testify. I have heard the voice of God. But then listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. So we have the prophetic word made more sure. What he is saying is, even though I have seen, I've heard the voice of God, there is something way more sure than the voice of God that I just heard. Listen to what he says. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Listen to what he says. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but by men moved by the Holy Spirit of God. Peter is saying there is something way more sure than just wanting to hear a voice from God. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. Paul is making this argument. He says, if an angel from heaven preaches a different gospel than the one that I am preaching, let him be a curse. Some people say, if I just heard a voice from God, if I just had a vision from God, if I could just see something tangible, I, I could see the evidence of God, I could hear the voice of God. Jesus is saying, Peter is saying, Paul is saying, you don't need a voice, you don't need a vision, you have something better, you have scripture. Scripture is a sure, it's a better word. But we don't really like this idea of external authority bearing down on us, right? Like we are products of the enlightenment. I've said this several times in this theater, and I'll say it to you again. Immanuel Kant was one of the voices of the enlightenment. And a lot of good things came out of the enlightenment, but the motto that Immanuel Kant uh, stuck to the enlightenment this period um, of time when, when thought processes began to change. Immanuel Kant said this. This is the motto of the Enlightenment. Have the courage to use your own understanding. <laughs> You're like, oh, that sounds great. Sounds fantastic. In essence, what Kant was saying was have the courage to break free from the shackles of religious tradition. Have the courage to break free from external authority pressing down on you. Use your own brain. Have your own courage to break free and have your own understanding. We're products of the Enlightenment. We don't like external authority. Thomas Jefferson was also a product. Some of his thought processes helped shape the founding of our country. We know Thomas Jefferson as a deist. We know that he believed in a God, 
But we know that Thomas Jefferson took, um, we know that Thomas Jefferson took his Bible. He didn't like the Old Testament reading of God. He didn't like most of the New Testament reading of God. He pared down his reading of the scripture to the four gospels. And he didn't even like what was in the four gospels. He pared down the things that associated Jesus' deity, being God. He took out the things that implied that Jesus did supernatural works and miracles. And so what and Thomas Jefferson was left with was this book that he wrote, The Morals and the Life of of Jesus. We don't like this idea of external authority. We understand it very well. The walk in a room where somebody is an expert and you immediately know, I'm not the expert here. This person is the authority. But if we stand up and we say, well, there's just some things that I can't accept anymore. There's just some things that I'm more enlightened about now. There's some things that our society has come to know greater than scripture. Jesus would look you in the eyes today and he would say, experts, People, a voice, a vision from heaven, from the sky, you still wouldn't believe it even if it spoke to you. Jesus is saying experts and voices and visions don't judge scripture. Scripture judges experts and voices and people and opinions. And I want to say to you that that, that according to Jesus and the record where he continually over and over quotes scripture, Peter and Paul, over and over, they continually quote scripture. The record is such that this is how God speaks to us and the only way we can know that God will speak. And I want to go further to say, as one of your pastors, if you think you can have a personal relationship with Christ and not believe in the complete authority of scripture, I have to tell you this morning, you are wrong. We want to uh, have this personal encounter with God. Um, it's, it's innate within us. God created us with this relational capacity um, to have intimacy, not only humanly, but vertically with God. And, and, uh, and so we want this personal, intimate encounter with the God of the Bible. But the challenge in post-enlightenment times is that we want that encounter on our own creative terms, Right? We want to pare down the God that we like, the God that we don't like, the parts of the Bible that don't offend us, hell, sexuality, view of the scripture. But then what happens is we don't actually have a conversation with God. We don't have intimacy with God. What you basically have is you have a nagging wife, a lazy husband that you look at in times that you disagree with or that you're angry with, and you say, I'm going to flip the switch and turn you off because this is not the God that I agree with. But Jesus' view of scripture was sort of the lever. It was the linchpin on how his entire life was, was based and oriented. He was constantly saying, it is written. If you were here several weeks ago, you heard us walk through um, Jesus at the beginning of his ministry when he's tempted by Satan. And, and Satan falsely accuses Jesus. He even twists scripture in Jesus' response three different times. And if you didn't listen to that message, go back and listen to the podcast. But, but Jesus said three different times, it is written. Jesus over and over goes back to scripture. This, this scripture was the linchpin on, on the basis of Jesus's life. In fact, if you remember in the garden, in the garden when, when, Jesus, was being, um, when, when Jesus was being accosted by the soldiers who would take him and arrest him, this was the last night on earth, um, Jesus quoted scripture. He says, I can call down 12 legions of angels, but then scripture would not 
not be fulfilled. When Jesus is on the cross in Luke chapter 23, he says, do not weep for me, weep for yourself. And then he quotes Psalm 22.1, a direct quote from Psalm 22.1, on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus has this inerrant, infallible perspective of scripture. It's the linchpin on which his base, the basis of his life is made. And if we say, I want Jesus, but I don't want a Bible that I have to obey and I have to listen to, then what we are saying is, I don't want a real Jesus. I want a Jesus I can make up. You can't have Jesus Christ and deny the very basis of his existence this morning. A completely true Bible is the only way to avoid a planet of individual gods made in our own image. We arrive at a dangerous place in life when we pare down what we like and what we don't like about God. We've seen that God speaks. We've seen how he speaks through his word. Now, let me just posture to you this morning. Let me try to explain why we don't hear God speak through his word. Why we don't hear God speak through his word. Now, now look, look back in, in, in John chapter 5 here. And, and he says in verse 45, But do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses. What is he saying here? If you understand what, what's happening here, Moses was the author of the first five books of the Old Testament. Moses, the author of the first five books of the Old Testament, we find a lot of record about Moses, specifically in Exodus. And Jesus says, I'm not here to accuse you before the Father. Moses is here to accuse you before the Father. Why? Because it's on him that your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Now listen, this is where Jesus begins to turn this whole idea. I don't want you to leave here this morning, and I know I think I, I think I know where you think I know that I'm going, and I'm not going there, okay? I, that probably didn't make sense, right? I'm not, just listen to me, all right? What I'm not going to say to you is go home today and like an encyclopedia, understand everything in Scripture. Now, there's a threading of the needle there, so be very careful. Don't Instagram that the pastor said, don't read the Bible, but listen to what I'm saying to you. I'm not going where you think I'm going today to say you need to be like an encyclopedia and know the scriptures. That was the record and the testimony of the Pharisees. They knew the scriptures. Jesus accused them and said, but you don't even hear me. You can't even hear me because you don't understand that the scriptures are about me. It's not just information, it's formation. But listen to what, what, what's happening here. Why we don't hear God speak to us through the scriptures. Jesus is making this judgment against the Pharisees. And by the way, he's not talking about people who reject scripture. There may be some of you in here this morning, and we're glad you're here. You're welcome. Your story is welcome here. You will see it all the time on our social media page. Your story is welcome here. There may be people here this morning that reject the authority, the veracity of Scripture this morning. Jesus in this moment is not talking about people who reject the authority and the veracity of Scripture. He's talking about people who believe in the infallibility, believe in the inerrancy, that believe in Scripture. Jesus is talking to people here, and he's criticizing them and judging them not because they have the right view. He's judging them because they have the wrong application of the scriptures. It's very important for you this morning. 
very important for you this morning because I believe this is where the majority of Christendom lies. Whenever we read the scripture, we don't read it in a way that Jesus says, this is how you hear me speak to you. And he says to the Pharisees, you're missing it in two ways. Number one, you're missing the purpose of the scripture. Verse 39, you believe that you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. What Jesus is not saying is, You read the scriptures because in them you think you have found the way to eternal life. He's saying you missed the the point here because the point for you is the scripture itself. The point for you is the end. Scripture is the end and not the means. Understand that just for a second. You read the scripture as an end, not as a means. You think it's your study, the knowledge of scripture, that is how you get favor with God. As a young seminarian, when I was 23 years old, and even as a younger believer, I thought I would wake up early in the morning and I would, like an encyclopedia, file every bit of knowledge about the scripture in the back of my head because I thought it was right and prudent as a pastor for my future ministry. And eventually what happens when you pursue scripture that way is that you begin to believe that somehow God God looks at you differently. Like he loves you more the more you know. The more you file away. The more you reflect Britannica, Encyclopedia, the more we just have an encounter with the scriptures, you begin to believe that the scriptures themselves are an end to the process, not the means. Now listen to what I mean by that. Conservative Christians have this thought. I I, I don't like labels. Don't label me as a conservative Christian, a liberal Christian, an evangelical. Don't label me because I believe if you place a label on me, then that says something there's more important in my life um, than my unity with Christ. I don't want a label this morning, but just bear with me. Typically in conservative Christianity, which by the way, I'm not labeling, but I, I I would probably fall in that spectrum. Conservative Christianity... We have this challenge where where we read these scriptures and we go neck deep into every centimeter of theology and then we fight about them. We fight over every little bit. What happens is we've bought more into our view of scripture than the Jesus found in them. We study scripture for information and not what it's teaching us, not how it's healing us, not how we see Jesus. And so when we read scripture as an end and not a means, we feel better about studying the scriptures because we believe God will love me more. Jesus says, you missed the purpose, now you've missed the point, the parallel between John the Baptist, which he mentions here, remember? How do I know God's real? You gotta know someone. Someone should radiate Christ. You should examine the evidence and finally the scriptures. So he makes this parallel to the scriptures in John the Baptist here. So what we know from John the Baptist and what we know from scripture is that people continually looked at John the Baptist and they said, are you the one? Right? Are you the one that we read about in the Old Testament? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we should place our hopes in? And John the Baptist said this. You remember what John the Baptist said? I am not the one I'm only here to do what? Point you to the one. 
I'm not him. I'm only here to direct your attention to the one to come. Here's the parallel between John the Baptist and scripture. Scripture is not the one. The point is not every centimeter of theology. I'm not downplaying theology this morning. I'm just telling you, if you are a critical Christian, it's the DTR series. Let me DTR something for you this morning. If you are a critical Christian and parse every sentence that we preach from here on Sunday mornings, you're not gonna fit well at Story City Church. We love the scriptures, we love theology. Craig reads his Bible in Hebrew and Greek, for goodness sakes, y'all. We love scripture, we love theology, but if you're a critical Christian, you parse every verb, every word, every sentence we preach from this stage, I wanna tell you, you're not gonna fit well. In fact, we have asked several people who came for three weeks in a row, criticize every word, every sentence, every verb, every noun that we said, they would do it immediately after the church. Three weeks into it, we said, we love you, this is not your place, don't come back. Why? This is not the end. We're reading it wrong if that's the end. It's the means to the end. John the Baptist says, I'm not the one. I'm pointing you to the one. And that's why we don't hear God speak. Because we read scripture in such a way where we believe we believe I can pick up this, this morality, I can pick up these rules, I can pick up this religious tradition, and in some way that brings the love of God closer to my life. Let's be very practical. Joseph, remember the story of Joseph? Joseph, coat of many colors. You've probably seen the play or you know the story. Joseph, betrayed by his brothers, very jealous. Dug a hole, threw him in a hole. People came by and said, let's sell our brother to these traders. They took him off. Joseph came into power, came into power. He sat at the right hand of the throne. The story progresses such that the family is in desperate need. There's famine and they're about to die. And God had brought Joseph to a place where he alone had the authority and the power to save his family. We read the story of Joseph and here's what we say. Oh, if I'm just strong and I have the courage I can overcome any obstacle in my life. That's not how you read scripture. That's the, when you read scripture that way, you're reading it as the end, not the means. How we rightly read scripture, there is another Joseph. <laughs> Jesus was foreshadowed in the story of Joseph. He was betrayed by those who should have loved him. And instead of taking revenge on those who loved him, he sat at the right hand of the Father and he alone used his power and his authority to save those whom should have loved him, but they did not. And when we read scripture that way, we see ourselves not as Joseph, we see ourselves as the one who sold Joseph. We see our ones who betrayed the one they should have loved. We see our one, ourselves as the one who, who begs God for mercy because we're in a desperate position that we cannot solve ourselves. And then we see Jesus, Joseph, sits at the right hand of God and by his grace, by his power, by his mercy and his authority, he says, in spite of, I love you and I will save you. And when we read scripture as a means to Jesus, not as an end in itself, then we hear God speak to us. Then we hear the glory of God speaking to us. Because if you just try to live your life 
based on principles and morals in Scripture. You read Joseph and you're like, hey, if I can just pull myself up by the bootstraps and have courage and, and if I can just obey enough, then what happens is you either become smug and self-righteous or, or you become crushed by the burden that morality and principles put on you that you can never live up to. Yet when you look to Jesus, the better and true Joseph, you see the grace and the mercy of God and it melts your heart to love Jesus more, which leads you into an obedient relationship with him. Miss the point, Jesus says. You miss the purpose. We miss hearing God speak if we read every passage as an end and not a means to see Jesus. Now, I'm almost done. If you look at the law as an end and not a means to leading you to the need of a Savior, can I say to you this morning, you are lost. It doesn't matter if you believe in the divine inerrancy and infallibility of Jesus. If you read the scriptures as a way to achieve and to balance out the scales, you're lost. That's the end that you're reading, but you should be reading it as a means to Jesus. If you see Jesus as dying and forgiving your sins and it melts your heart, it builds you up, then on the last day, Jesus says to the Pharisees, the scripture will judge you. The scripture which you based your hope will judge you. I won't judge you. The scripture will because that's where you placed your heart. That's where you placed your focus. You didn't see. You didn't hear my voice. You didn't hear the word. It does not dwell in you. We read the Bible as it being a means to an end where it points to Jesus. Um, The story of Jesus, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the story of Moses smiting the rock. The people are are thirsty, they need water, they need bread. Moses smites the rock and water comes out. Somehow we fashion some sort of leadership principle to guide our life, we totally miss the point. Jesus was the rock that was broken. He is the living water, he is the bread of life that comes from heaven. He provides the sustenance. So how can we hear God speak to us, Pastor Matt? It's very simple. You read every passage, You read every verse, you read every scripture about Jesus and not about you. Read it for formation, not information. You can't take scripture that way and have a thriving relationship with the gospel. The gospel is not you do good works and you offer them to God. The gospel is that God sent Jesus Christ to live the perfect life and he offers it to you. Every other religion says live a divine life. The Bible says Jesus Christ came down and lived a human life and when you unite with him, you are accepted by him. If you don't believe the story of the Bible is true, then what you're left with is a bunch of principles that you have to live up to. That's damning and crushing, the weight of which you can never bear up to. But when it's about God, then the love of God will dwell in you. We read the Bible to see Jesus. We read the Bible for formation, not information. I'll close with this. When I was dating my wife early on, and hopefully still some today, (laughs) when I was dating my wife early on, you have this thing in these early moments of uh, these dating relationships where you sit across the table at a coffee shop, at, at a meal, and, and you just look into the eyes of the person that you're just trying to get to know. And ideally, if you're a person with any integrity and character, 
you look at the person across the table and you're just not thinking about the next thing you're going to say, but you're looking into the eyes intimately and deeply of the person you're trying to get to know and you want them to get to know you. You want them to know you, to understand you, to feel how you feel, to understand what's going on in your heart, your life, your emotions, and you're intimately trying to read one another. On the opposite side, you sit down for morning coffee and we don't read the newspaper anymore, but you pull up your news app on your iPhone and you read the app for information. Here's what's going on in North Korea. Here's what's going on here. And you digest all this information and you just walk away for the rest of your day. See, there's two different ways that we read scripture here. We read it like a newspaper for information. Let me just say to you today, the information will not draw the love of God in your heart out. When you read scripture, when you sit down and you say, this is an intimate love relationship, God, read me, read me, let me see you. There's a deep love that abides in your heart. God draws it out of you. And the intimacy that you have with Jesus is unlike any other thing you can experience. Do me a favor, bow your head, close your eyes. We're gonna sing some more worship here this morning. Can I say this to you today? Maybe this morning you understand that you walk into an environment like this and maybe you've confused what it is that God was trying to say in scripture. You read it differently. You read it for morality and principles, but you did not read it to see Jesus. And when you read it to see Jesus, you see that you cannot live up to the standard of God, which is holiness. You see that John 3.16 says he loves you in spite of that. You see that the result of your problem between you and God, which is called sin, is death, both in this life and the next. Unless there's never a solution to your problem, which is Christ on the cross demonstrating his love for you, Romans chapter five, and that your response is once you understand the grace of God, you turn your life to Jesus and you walk with him the rest of your days of your life because you have fully experienced the grace of God. And then John 1.12 says, at that point, God looks at you and says, you are my child. You are a child of God. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, can I invite you into that this morning? Nothing magical, mystical, not going to stand you on a stage, make you say anything you don't want to say this morning. But can I just say to you, if you do not know Jesus this morning, I want to invite you into that relationship. I want to invite you into a conversation where you have between God and you acknowledge, God, this is who I am. This is how I see me today as unworthy and unacceptable to you. Only, only God, through the love of God on the cross, can I be received by you? And so I repent of my sin. I turn from my sin. Jesus, thank you for the grace of God. Would you save me today? And I hope that someone will do that, place their faith in Jesus today. If that's you, can you do me a favor after the service? There's a connect table outside. There's a card. And here's how we just, the reason why we want to know is because we want to follow up. We want to help you begin this journey with Jesus. Fill out that card and there's a place that says, I have received Christ as my savior today. The rest of us, as we sing this morning, as we hear scripture, I want to invite you to rightly see the Jesus in scripture, not yourself as the hero. When you point yourself to Jesus and see him, the love of God will be drawn out of your heart into a relationship like you've never had before. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your word. We love it. Jesus, we love it because it rightly defines reality. And we also love it, Jesus, because it's how you speak to us and how we see you clearly. So God, in these last few minutes, as we sing, God, may you be honored in our worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.